Hello and welcome to Cannabis Grand Rounds, a production by physicians with advanced degrees in cannabis medicine. Your hosts, Dr. Lee Van Oker, Dr. Les Matthews, and Dr. Hal Altman, will offer unbiased medical cannabis education for healthcare providers and the motivated public. Our content is selected with the objective to fully explore cannabis as science and medicine and pledges to reflect current cannabis knowledge with no hidden agenda nor sponsorships. Hi, and welcome back to Cannabis Grand Rounds. We have a frequent guest with us again today, Dr. Tiffany Buckley. She's a board-certified pharmacotherapy specialist and a board-certified psychiatric pharmacist. So from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Um, So welcome, Dr. Buckley, and thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me. So um, I'd like to get into, I, I know in the, we've been talking uh, about psychiatry and cannabis and how it's related and what possibly is the underlying mechanism of a lot of different uh, psychiatric conditions. Uh, there are uh, Dr. Ethan Russo, who's a famous uh, cannabinoid researcher. He had talked about um, endocannabinoid deficiency uh, and dysfunction, and there's a lot of conditions where maybe our own internal cannabinoids are not functioning properly, and they manifest in uh, treatment or difficult-to-treat conditions. So let's uh, talk about what is the evidence, let's put it this way, what is the role of the endocannabinoid system in the psychopathology of certain psychiatric conditions such as anxiety, depression, and insomnia? Let's uh, start with maybe anxiety. So the endocannabinoid system, as Dr. Russo has already touched on, is responsible for regulating the nervous system as well as the endocrine system. And both these systems are going to be very intimately connected when we start talking about psychiatric processes. And then dysregulation of that can lead to psychiatric disorders. So one thing that's super interesting is that scientists have actually shown that in animal models, if they block endocannabinoid signaling, that it can result in a response that really looks like stress. So that can activate the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access and then cause the secretion of stress hormones. Animals also see increased anxiety, a decreased desire to eat, lack of response to things that were previously rewarding. They can be hypervigilant or aroused and have difficulty concentrating. So this, these symptoms that result look just like what's happening with our psychiatric disorders. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you know, an an interesting story, and I've told it uh, before, but when I was on faculty at the School of Medicine at the University of Maryland, before we're talking back in 2008, right? Um, Probably well before your time. But in any event, um, I was talking to a colleague who was doing research. It was the first time I had heard the word and he had done research. The converse is true, that when he stressed rats, he actually saw decreased levels of endocannabinoids, specifically anandamide in these stressed rats. And of course, that was the first time I ever heard the word. I was like, endo what? 
what, you know, because it wasn't anything that we were taught. Um, but it, it's fascinating. And with all the receptors, uh, the CB1 receptors in the brain, you know, all the mood um, disorders and things, it, it just makes sense that there might be a dysfunction with our endocannabinoid system. Yes, and kind of jumping off what you said with the decrease in anandamide, with the decrease in anandamide, what we see is an increase in cortisol, and then that triggers an increase in 2-AG, which is another endocannabinoid. And when that 2-AG is triggered, then that has a sort of buffering effect on the HPA axis, so it stops it from going. And then now this is the body, it gives the body time to recover. Now people are not remembering things that are so stressful. There's a decrease in pain and those neurons finally have a chance to start neurogenesis again. So it's pretty fantastic. Well, pretty amazing how the system is proposed to work um, and really buffer our responses to stress. So if something goes wrong with that system, then it makes sense that it could result in these increased issues, um, psychological issues. Yeah, and it is interesting. I think I, I once heard a talk with Dr. Raphael Mishulam where he was talking about how the endocannabinoid system can actually help improve some memory of working good memory, but can help suppress traumatic type memories um, and such, and I, I think that's probably the basis that people are, like yourself, are, are trying to study and work with phytocannabinoids uh, to treat all sorts of patients that have uh, issues related to anxiety, depression, PTSD, and everything. Um, but let's go on and talk specifically about um, what is like the proposed mechanism of action you think when you're treating, say, specifically um, anxiety disorders and depression and the clinical yeah. evidence behind it? So there have been some animal studies that actually look at um, CB1 receptor agonists. So those are going to be substances that are going to have that activity on CB1 receptors. And what they've seen is that in animal models, it's able to increase the amount of serotonin um, that's transmitted as well as the amount of norepinephrine and kind of work in a way like an antidepressant in terms of an SSRI or an SNRI. Right. That's interesting. So j just the way the endocannabinoids step in, or are you saying that um, THC-type compounds or CBD compounds specifically uh, can raise the levels of serotonin or norepinephrine the way the inhibitor uh, drugs are used? Yeah, so THC, because it has that partial agonist activity at the CB1 receptor, it's thought to potentially be able to increase the transmission of serotonin and norepinephrine at lower levels. But what we see is that at higher doses, then that's when it becomes more problematic. And we actually see the opposite in terms of anxiety and mood with those anxiety getting worse, mood getting worse as well. And it's the mechanism of that is still 
trying to be explained, but it's thought that perhaps that THC can block the endogenous cannabinoids from binding to the CB1 receptor and exerting a calming effect. And so now those receptors are just constantly stimulated, but can't get the natural cannabinoids from the body to exert their effect. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, there have been studies that talk about downregulation when you're using exogenous phytocannabinoids. But, you know, I'm sure you've seen yourself, too. I've seen in the emergency room an overdose of THC, while not fatal, can produce paranoia and anxiety. And I had read somewhere, too, that it could also be um, different uh, levels of sensitivity in the amygdala, right? Because that's kind of the fear-stimulating, hypervigilant part of the brain where it might be um, yes. interacting. Yes. They have, there have been several studies done that have looked at THC given to people at different doses. And as the dose increases, the anxiety increases that people report. Yeah. And is it is it also a time effect? Have, have you seen in your clinical experience that it's also maybe the length of time or chronic users, or is it more an acute uh, overdose of the THC at one time? So with the THC and these studies, they were just studying it at one point in time when they gave people THC, um, but, and just increasing the dose. However, People who utilize more predominantly THC cannabis, their body gets more used to it. So they tend to not exhibit the same amount of anxiety as someone who's just acutely exposed to a larger dose as their body just becomes more tolerant to it. Yeah, like an overdose. All right. And then what are the clinical and observational data that you've seen for using um, CBD um, in psychiatric illnesses like anxiety um, and depression? Yeah. So when we're talking about treating psychiatric conditions, it's wise to stay away from predominantly THC strains that have a high potency of THC. But CBD, on the other hand, has a little bit more data for exerting these anxiolytic effects. So it's so interesting. There are there have been numerous trials conducted, but these trials have been done in patients with social anxiety disorder when they get a dose of CBD and then watch what happens to them afterwards. And these patients report having less anxiety before completing a public speaking t- um, task. So people try to use cannabis for anxiety all the time, but it's so interesting that the clinical trial data that we have is mostly from social anxiety disorder. Right, which is different than general anxiety in that it's a reaction to a specific um, a specific interaction like public speaking or something, correct? Exactly. Yeah, but the doses were very high. I mean, I saw one study, they were talking about a, like a 300 milligram dose of CBD um, in those social anxiety studies, correct? And I think people aren't used to taking that much. Yes, exactly. They're very high doses, up to about 900 milligrams. So that's not typically what we would see in practice 
it's very difficult to translate that data into a clinical situation. So, and do you find as um, an expert in this, I mean, some of the issues today that we find, and I know uh, with myself, even when patients come to see me, because of the, you know, farm bill now and CBD is plentiful, that people are trying to self-medicate with it and either not finding any help with it and then kind of just saying, okay, this this probably doesn't work versus under the care of somebody that can help them manage it themselves. Do you see that in your clinical practice? Yes, but it's it's very important that people realize that unfortunately there's a lot of CBD combinations that are available that the FDA hasn't looked at those in depth. So who knows what's truly in those. It's important to work with a cannabis provider who knows a company that verifies those products to make sure that they're actually getting CBD. Because the data has such large amounts of CBD though, it's still important to let patients know, let's start really low and then go up and see if we're seeing any effects. But the side effect profile of CBD isn't particularly as worrisome in psychiatric disorders like the THC. So it's it's a little bit safer to use uh, maybe than, than THC. And I think people maybe are more predisposed to try it because they can see it on a, a, a drugstore shelf. And obviously you have to go through the whole uh, certification and recommendation process uh, to get a THC compound. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I think there was a JAMA study that said two thirds of all the CBD products that are out there on the shelves either don't have hardly any CBD in them or have a lot more than they uh, propose. So one of the things I, I usually do counsel patients on is um, to ask the companies, I talk about certain companies that are reputable, but the key is a certificate of analysis to prove that every batch has what it says in it and that there's no contaminants. Yes, exactly. Even with all of this information, though, with the potential utility of THC at low doses and potentially helping with mood as well as anxiety and this small amount of data that we have for CBD with social anxiety disorder, it's really important to emphasize to people that this is still very experimental. There aren't a lot of clinical studies on this. And especially with depression and anxiety, a lot of the outcomes that have, a lot of the patients that have been looked at in clinical practice, they have chronic diseases like HIV and AIDS, MS, chronic neuropathic pain. And then the studies look at their secondary outcomes of anxiety and depression. So it's it's still so experimental that the first thing I recommend for my patients is Let's see what's going on. Let's try to optimize your medication. Let's make sure that we have all non-pharmacological therapies because this is not necessarily something that is high up to recommend right now. 
Yeah, and when you say non-pharmacological, you mean like psychotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that to also manage anxiety and depression. Exactly. Let's get you set up with a mental health social worker or a psychologist to really talk through some of these things. Anxiety and depression are some of the main reasons that people are coming to cannabis therapy. So it's really important to, before we add on anything, really look at our patients, see what's going on, and making sure that we've exhausted all other avenues. Well, and you bring up a good point. Um, you know, uh, do you recommend, so I too see a lot of patients that come and want to get certified for cannabis and they complain of anxiety and depression and they're on medications already, whether it's an SSRI or a norepinephrine uh, uptake inhibitor. And what is your recommendation uh, for that? If they say they want to try cannabis, they're not getting the most relief. Do you, uh, you know, I always make sure that they're seeing a psychiatrist, that the psychiatrist knows that they're coming to me. But what's your recommendation for, are there meds that ever get adjusted down? I've seen them in follow-up and they've told me their psychiatrist has lowered some of the dose. But do you, if you're starting one of your patients on it, do you uh, lower the dose of the SSRI? Does it affect, you know, do you get too much serotonin if both of them are increasing serotonin uh, in the brain so that you would could potentially get, you know, the serotonin side effect from an overdose of that? Do you see that at all? Yeah, so with that, um, one of the precautions before initiating cannabis therapy is, doing a really good med review to make sure there's not any other sedating meds, looking at their psych meds, making sure they're optimized. Before I even initiated cannabis, I would make sure that the patient has been at max doses, well, not max doses, but a, a higher dose of those um, antidepressants that would be utilized to treat depression and anxiety first. I want to see that everything's been done first. Then when I'm adding on cannabis, we can see how that goes. And then I could slowly start taking off other things if we're seeing some sort of response. But I would never just want to discontinue the medication that person is on because it has to be a slower taper for most of our psychiatric medications. Right. And have you seen um, patients that have been able, you know, because a lot of times patients will come in and they'll say, look, I want to get off my uh, psychiatric meds, there's side effects, sexual side effects, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, people have this concept that cannabis is a natural product. Um, so have you seen uh, patients of yours that have been able to slowly taper off and get off some of their psychiatric meds and then kind of stabilize themselves with uh, cannabinoid therapy or phytocannabinoids? I personally haven't had a, a lot of experience with that occurring um, just yet. M most of the time what I'm seeing is people wanting to utilize cannabis, not necessarily using it in the most harm reductive type way. And so it's more a lot of education in terms of how to use that and minimize harm from the cannabis. I found that a lot of patients with psychiatric comorbidities are coming in, they're very misguided, they're using a high potency THC predominant cannabis. So most of the management that I'm kind of seeing is 
trying to reduce that harm as opposed to actively establishing something just the way my practice works and when I see my patients. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I think we'll wrap up this section of Cannabis Grand Rounds. This has been very informative and uh, we'll have you back to talk about a couple other topics uh, related to cannabis and psychiatry and psychotherapies. Thank you. All information, material, and content on this podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional and or medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment by a qualified physician or healthcare provider. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. Cannabis Grand Rounds LLC does not offer personal health or medical advice. If you have a medical emergency, call your doctor or call 911 immediately.